Due to the graphic nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence against animals. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On Christmas Eve 2002, in the mountain town of Hayuya, Puerto Rico, Adelaida Okendo cooked a holiday meal for her family. However, this December was a little bit more tense than usual. Rumors suggested a blood-sucking demon had been preying on their livestock. And though her own father blamed their eight dead chickens on the beast, Okendo shrugged off the superstitions. She had a PhD. She knew monsters weren't real. As Okendo cooked, her son called for her to look at an animal skeleton he'd found in the basement, a dead mouse. She followed him downstairs, but when the boy pointed out the dusty bones, Okendo knew this was far from an ordinary rodent. The animal was two feet long, with powerful hindquarters and feet that ended in three sharp claws. The body had fangs fit for a carnivore and a massive whip-like tail. Although Puerto Rico was home to many rodents, the animal was far too large to be any known predator. Okendo called for her husband to help move the skeleton. They slipped a piece of cardboard under it and carried it outside. In the afternoon sun, they examined the disturbing remains of a creature they'd never seen before. That's when it dawned on her. Okendo wasn't a superstitious woman, but here was proof. This was the monster that had killed so many farm animals that season. This was the elusive chupacabra. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth— You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our first episode on one of the world's most famous urban legends, the Chupacabra. Many believe this mythical monster is a vampire-like creature that drinks blood. Today, we'll meet the real-life Van Helsing, who vowed to hunt down the chupacabra. And we'll explore how the beast became an unlikely cultural icon in Puerto Rico. Next time, we'll debate whether the monster was the result of a science experiment gone wrong. We'll also discuss the possibility the creature is a metaphor for a real vampire, one rooted in economic exploitation. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 
Almost every culture has a vampire myth, its own version of a blood-sucking demon. Many believe these undead creatures cause disease, bad crops, and other inexplicable evils. While the myth is ancient, one of the first documented vampire encounters took place in 1725. In the God-fearing town of Kisilova, modern-day Serbia, a mysterious pandemic broke out. Nine villagers fell ill, complaining of exhaustion. While on their deathbeds, they all claimed they were visited by an eerie figure, a peasant named Peter Plogojevic. Plogojevic climbed onto their beds, wrapped his icy hands around their throats, and throttled them. The victims writhed helpless. Then, within a week, they perished. There was one problem with this account. Plogojevic had died 10 weeks before. The villagers were well acquainted with rumors of vampires, so they decided to dig up Plogojevic's coffin and see what they could find. The villagers lifted the casket from the earth. When they pried the lid free, they stepped back in horror. Plogojevic was remarkably well-preserved, although he'd been in the ground for over two months. His old skin had peeled away to reveal a new bone-white face. His hair was long and his nails were like claws. Somehow, Plogojevic had changed into something unholy after death. But the villagers were most disturbed by the liquid smeared around Plogojevic's mouth, fresh red blood. Plogojevic seemed to be the European vampire myth made real. But while most medieval vampires attacked humans, a new kind of blood-sucking demon emerged centuries later on a small Caribbean island on the other side of the world. In the late 20th century, the United States territory of Puerto Rico was a thriving tourist destination. With its steamy Caribbean climate, the island was home to a tropical rainforest El Yunque National Forest. In the moist underbrush, large bats, snakes, and feral dogs and cats flourished. Although the rainforest was dense, the creatures living on the island were pretty well documented. But in early 1975, Puerto Ricans saw something they never had before. A farmer in Moca, a small town in western Puerto Rico, woke early for his morning duties. He walked outside to attend to his livestock. But as soon as he opened his large barn doors, he discovered a scene of carnage. Something had broken into his barn and killed his precious pair of white geese. He bent down to examine the bodies on the floor. The bone-white feathers were immaculate and clean. The only sign of violence was in the long neck two puncture wounds in the pale flesh. Whatever had killed them had drained every drop of blood from their bodies. There wasn't even fluid in the gaping neck wounds. The farmer was used to every kind of wild animal attack, but he'd never seen anything like this. He and other ranchers gathered at the Mocha Town Square and traded their horror stories. The farmers estimated around 10 animals had been killed that night, Every one of them was drained of all its blood. While no one saw the creature, a few reported they'd heard it. A monster flapping its leathery wings, howling and screeching. 
Although a few were skeptical, the majority of the farmers agreed on the culprit. Flapping wings, bloodless victims, the killer was a vampire. Police arrived to inspect the livestock, and they shrugged off the wild accusations of vampirism. They suggested a more rational explanation, like pranksters playing a mean joke. Or maybe the killer was an ordinary predator. But the farmers disagreed. They knew they were the victims of something far stranger. In the following days, they prepared for another attack. They hoped to kill the beast, or at least see what it was. But days turned to weeks, then months, and the monster never returned. The mysterious bloodsucker became known as the Vampire of Mocha. As the years went by, the creature faded into legend. That is, until a similar beast returned to the region 20 years later. And this time, the monster came to stay. In March of 1995, a farmer in central Puerto Rico entered the animal pen on his dusty property. He found eight of his sheep dead. Each had three strange puncture marks on its chest. He knelt to inspect the sheep. Though they'd clearly died from the injuries, he hardly found any blood. He figured whatever killed them had sucked the fluid out of the chest wounds. The rancher told the harrowing details to his neighbors. And before long, they found their own livestock dead as well. The predator hit their farms one by one, draining blood from their goats, sheep, and other animals. No one saw the mystery killer, but the farmers did learn a few things about it. They noticed that where it struck, it left behind a foul, rotten stink, almost like sulfur. And goats seemed to be its favorite prey. Although a goat-hunting monster might seem relatively harmless to humans, it actually threatened the Puerto Rican economy. Many rural communities depended on farms, and the loss of livestock meant some families could go hungry for years. The spree of animal deaths panicked Puerto Ricans. To make matters worse, no one had any idea what the culprit was or what to even call it. But that would soon change. Soon after press reported on the attacks, a famous comedian mentioned the unknown predator. He called the vampire El Chupacabra, the goat sucker. The name was supposed to be a joke, but as the Chupacabra kept slaughtering farm animals, no one was laughing. Eyewitnesses continued to come forward with reports until finally someone spotted the beast in action. Coming up, the first recorded sighting of a live chupacabra. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, Take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD and more. On Conspiracy Theories, 
We leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In the 1990s, some kind of vampire reportedly struck numerous farms in Puerto Rico. The locals dubbed it the Chupacabra. The creature always struck at night and vanished without a trace. But in the second week of August 1995, that all changed. The Chupacabra was finally spotted in daylight. Madeline Tolentino was visiting her mother in Canobanas, about 35 miles from the original Chupacabra attacks. Tolentino was a fan of UFOs, aliens, and science fiction, but nothing could prepare her for what she'd soon see. Around one in the afternoon, she napped in her mother's guest bed, then awoke to a shout. It was her mother staring out the bedroom window. Her mom told her to look outside. When Tolentino peered through the glass, she froze. A creature the size of a coyote stood on the empty paved road just a few feet outside the house. Its large black eyes were at the sides of its head, like a dragonfly. Instead of a nose, it had two reptilian air holes. Its body was covered in short hair and round patches with raw, pinkish flesh that looked like burn marks. It stood upright on two long, skinny hind legs, similar to a human. Each foot had three long toes with webbing between them, and each hand had three talons. But the creature's most unusual features were on its back. Tolentino thought it had appendages that looked like feathers connected by a reddish membrane. As she watched, they became erect and waved. Then it moved with slow, robot-like motions, just like a monster from a B-movie. Tolentino and her mother had never seen anything like it before. She figured the animal had to be the same one that had attacked the livestock in central Puerto Rico, the elusive chupacabra. Her mother sprang into action. She rushed outside to grab the creature, but she was too slow. It sprang away, hopping into the dense mountainous forest. She chased it into the woods. A young laborer who worked on the property followed after her, then pulled ahead. He managed to grab the creature. As the bizarre animal thrashed in his arms, he pried its flat, lipless mouth open. Long fangs glinted in the light. But this only agitated the creature. Its back feathers rose up like long, fluttering spines. They rapidly shifted colors. Then it wrenched itself from his grasp and bolted into the forest even faster than before. According to the boy, it was so quick it appeared to float. The entire encounter lasted only three to five minutes. By the time Tolentino stepped out of the house, the creature was gone. But she still smelled something in the air, a sulfuric aroma, the telltale sign of the chupacabra. Tolentino told her friends and family what had happened. As rumors spread, an illustrator and ufologist named Jorge Martin heard about the encounter. He tried to sketch the creature, 
but his drawing wasn't quite the same as Tolentino's description. Martin drew the chupacabra with a face that resembled a humanoid alien. Instead of feathers, his creature had a row of sharp phosphorescent spikes, and its three-taloned hands resembled chicken feet. Martin circulated the illustration to his fellow ufologists. He thought Tolentino had survived a genuine encounter with a creature from another planet, and he wanted the world to know about it. All across the Canobanas area, people spread the news about the hair-raising creature. Neighbors chatted over fences. Grandparents shared the story over family meals. And soon, chupacabra sightings cropped up everywhere. However, the descriptions of the beast varied wildly, almost like some eyewitnesses saw other creatures entirely. Children claimed they saw a monkey-like beast with razor-sharp teeth and a long tail. A few farmers caught glimpses of a bat-like animal with red eyes that burned like embers. And a boy said a hairy-armed creature jumped into his house through an open window, tore up his teddy bear, oozed slime on the floor, then escaped. People all over northeastern Puerto Rico were on high alert, but accounts varied so wildly, many wondered what this creature actually was. The superstitious thought the nocturnal, blood-drinking beast had to be a vampire. Skeptics believed the predator was an indigenous animal from the deepest corners of the jungle. But since eyewitnesses claimed it resembled nothing they'd seen before, some suspected the chupacabra was a new creature entirely. And perhaps the beast wasn't an ancient mythical monster. Maybe it had been designed. A few people had an idea of who created it. The U.S. government. Conspiracists thought the chupacabra could be a top-secret U.S. experiment gone wrong. This would explain why the beast's unique features looked like they'd come from all sorts of different animals. Maybe scientists had literally stitched it together. A little kangaroo here, a little snake there, and some bat wings for a flourish. But the Frankenstein-like doctors likely didn't know how to control their creation. Some believe the chimeric beast eventually broke out of its cage. Scientists and soldiers must have tried to capture or kill the creature, but failed. While Puerto Ricans found that possibility fascinating, ufologists thought there was a better explanation for the chupacabra's bizarre appearance. Perhaps it wasn't from this planet. The chupacabra didn't seem to be intelligent. But maybe it was another alien visitor's pet. Now it was lost alone on a strange planet like an abandoned dog. And like other strays, the creature ranged far and wide, feeding itself whatever and however it could. In the months after the first victims were found, people found 150 dead animals, apparent victims of chupacabra attacks. Townspeople were scared to go out at night and only traveled in groups. Eventually, the people of Canobanas realized life couldn't go on like this much longer. They needed someone to protect their home by killing the chupacabra, a full-fledged vampire slayer. They turned to 51-year-old mayor, Jose Chemo Soto. 
He was a sportsman and gun collector with a powerful jaw, narrow eyes, and a handsome mustache. On October 29, 1995, Mayor Soto summoned every able-bodied policeman, city worker, prison guard, and hunter to the Canobanas Town Square at 8 p.m. About 200 residents gathered, wielding guns, machetes, nets, and tranquilizers. Mayor Soto took his place at the head of the assembly, dressed in fatigues and a light fedora. When reporters with cameras surrounded him, he peeled back his jacket to reveal a large hunting knife. The mayor hadn't only organized the hunt, he was going to lead it. Soto believed the chupacabra nested in the El Yunque, which was about 12 miles away. They would journey into the wilderness, draw the beast out, and capture it alive. He'd even arranged for live bait, a baby goat, the chupacabra's favorite meal. With the moon high above and a cold wind blowing, Mayor Soto and his 200 hunters marched into the rainforest. They hacked a path through the massive leaves and dangling ferns as cameras recorded their arduous journey. Locked within a wooden crate, a baby goat bleated helplessly for its mother. Finally, Soto declared they'd reached a good spot. He ordered small groups of hunters into the forest to secure a perimeter where they'd keep a lookout for the chupacabra and for each other. The 30,000-acre rainforest was a dangerous place to get lost. When the party settled in position, city workers put the terrified baby goat into a large cage. The animal's panicked cries echoed through the jungle and down the nearby slopes. Every blood-hungry predator for miles would be able to hear it. Soto checked the cage door's lock one last time before they fanned out into their hiding positions. But as his rough hands touched the metal, gunshots exploded in the distance. Soto rushed toward the sound. With his hunters chasing after him, he shouted that they needed the chupacabra alive. He and his posse soon reached a pair of winded gunmen who stared off into the darkness of the rainforest. They told the mayor they'd spotted the creature and fired, but the small vampire had escaped, bounding into the jungle like a gazelle. They checked the area and found no sign they'd hit the monster. Satisfied it was likely still alive, the hunters returned to their position. But the night passed without the creature appearing again. Soto felt like a disappointment. Not only was the hunt unsuccessful, the attacks continued as usual, mocking its would-be captor. He swore to one day capture the monster and bring peace to Kenobanas. For the next several years, Soto launched more expeditions. The hunts bolstered his political ambitions, and Kenobanas voters re-elected their adventurous mayor all the way through 2014, hoping he'd one day fulfill his promise. Chemo Soto became as iconic as the vampire itself. His daring attitude and flamboyant garb reminded journalists of a Puerto Rican version of Indiana Jones. It's how the Chupacabra Hunter earned his nickname, Chemo Jones. At the time, he was the only public figure who took the beast seriously. However, soon the rest of the planet heard the amazing story of the space vampire. And when they did, people began spotting the chupacabra 
all across the world. Coming up, Chupamania sweeps the globe. Now back to the story. In 1995, many Puerto Ricans believed the chupacabra was no ordinary predator. Although its appearance changed from one sighting to the next, they feared the vampire that threatened their livelihoods was real. The beast was still only well-known in northeastern Puerto Rico, but a tale as sensational as the chupacabra could only stay local for so long. El Vocero was the island's leading tabloid magazine, their version of National Enquirer. It spun headlines out of rumors while exploiting actual tragedies. And the chupacabra was El Vocero's golden goose. They reported each and every story on the creature, no matter how far-fetched. More than half the articles came from a single editor, Ruben Dario Rodriguez. Rodriguez didn't care whether the reports were true or if they made any sense. All that mattered was grabbing his readers' attention. For example, he published one story on November 13, 1995. It covered a couple who reported the chupacabra had invaded their land, killed five chickens, and left a strange tattoo-like mark on their daughter's forearm. The mark was a series of letters and numbers. According to her parents, the tattoo gave the girl a genius-level IQ. The story raised more questions than it answered, to say the least. Nevertheless, Rodriguez turned it into a major headline. He spun nonsense into gold, and the readers ate it up. The strange predator became a sensation across the whole island. In early 1996, the Miami-based talk show Christina aired an episode profiling the space vampire. The chupacabra was ready for live TV. Host Christina Saralegi spoke with a few chupacabra experts, including the hunter mayor Jose Chemo Soto, a veterinarian known as Dr. Chupacabras, and UFO buff Jorge Martin. Martin was responsible for the first sketch of the beast, the one with similarities to a humanoid alien. Christina approached the discussion as a skeptic. She believed this vampire was nothing more than a joke, or at least the work of overactive imaginations. But as the experts broke down the various encounters and bizarre animal mutilations, she slowly changed her mind. By the end, Christina couldn't doubt the claims from such credible, intelligent people anymore. She was a Chupa believer. Soon after the episode aired, the Chupacabra struck again. But for the first time, it strayed from the Caribbean rainforests and dusty streets of Puerto Rico. It crossed to the mainland. A woman in Miami, Florida, saw a dog-like creature standing upright, waving two small hands in the air. She believed it was the same critter she'd heard about on television. Then, 40 animals were killed in a rural area northwest of Miami. Two months after the Christina episode, an epidemic of strange attacks broke out along the U.S.-Mexico border. People found dead animals with puncture wounds and blood drained from their bodies. In Juarez, Mexico, people reported a kangaroo-shaped monster that preyed on wildlife and pets. 
It had color-changing spines on its back and sprinted on all four legs like a dog. In Sinaloa, Mexican villagers complained a bat-like creature drained the blood from local goats. In another account, a seven-year-old claimed the monster smelled like a wet dog when it sat on his chest. Notably, this was the first time the vampire reportedly assaulted a person. Although most of its hunting grounds were in Latino communities, northern U.S. states like Maine claimed the chupacabra roamed its woods. It was even spotted in China. Major news outlets around the world, including the Boston Globe and the New York Times, covered the story. It appeared in National Geographic and Unsolved Mysteries. In a 1997 X-Files episode, the world's most famous fictional FBI duo even pursued the creature. According to Supernatural News magazine, 14 Times, the Chupacabra became a modern-day urban legend. One writer wrote, quote, Not since the advent of crop circles has a strange phenomenon been so quickly assimilated into popular culture. Chupacabras is now equal to the Loch Ness Monster, or Bigfoot, as a cultural icon. While some farmers cowered in their homes in fear, Hispanic communities across the world celebrated the monster's fame. Restaurants and merchandisers sold t-shirts and mugs with illustrations of the beast. Many used a cartoony, lovable caricature. In one image, it danced and wore a cowboy hat. Puerto Ricans took pride in the chupacabra. Their small island rarely grabbed international headlines, but now the spotlight was on them. The space vampire became Puerto Rico's unlikely punk rock icon. The latter half of the 1990s was the golden age of chupamania. Part of the allure was the beast's elusiveness. While there were many eyewitnesses, no one had ever captured it on film, nor had it ever been trapped, dead or alive. That's why, when Adelaida Okendo found the rodent-like skeleton on Christmas Eve 2002, she believed it deserved a special examination. Okendo contacted the local newspapers and soon drew the attention of National Geographic. A reporter invited two biologists to inspect the bones. They determined the remains didn't belong to any known species of cat, dog, or rodent, or at least nothing native to Puerto Rico. Okendo's chupacabra was something totally new, but it was soon overshadowed by a corpse found in Cuero, Texas. Nutritionist Phyllis Canyon lived on a ranch outside the small Texas town. She was familiar with the coyotes and other wild beasts that carried off her cats and chickens. But around 2005, a different sort of predator turned up. Now and again, she'd catch a quick glimpse of the vicious beast. It looked like a small dog-like creature with bluish-gray skin like an elephant, and it seemed to enjoy the taste of Canyon's chickens. Whatever it was, it sliced birds' throats open and licked up the blood. Canyon was familiar with all kinds of Texan critters, and she only knew of one carnivore that drank blood, vampire bats. She set live chickens in cages as bait, with cameras rolling nearby, hoping to capture footage of the creature. But after two and a half years and miles of tape, 
she only managed to record bobcats, coyotes, and wild dogs. Then, on July 14, 2007, she received a call that would change her life. A nearby rancher told her about a dead animal he'd found. Someone had hit it with a car near his property. He didn't know what it was, but he believed it was the thing that had been killing her chickens. Canyon drove over, and the rancher showed her the dead animal. The dog-like creature had unusual three-toed feet and large fang teeth. Most importantly, it had blue-gray skin. It was the same predator she saw years before. Soon after this amazing find, Canyon received another call about yet another dead animal. And this one was right in front of their home. Canyon had never thought she'd catch one of these creatures, let alone two in a single day. She rushed back. When she got back to her house, she found the exact same bluish-gray animal lying dead in the road. For the second time in hours, she stared at the elusive predator that had evaded her for years. This chupacabra hardly resembled Tolentino's description of a reptilian alien, but that didn't bother Canyon. Perhaps this was the truth behind the legend. It wasn't an extraterrestrial. It was an undiscovered blood-sucking canine. She laid the corpse on a torn flower sack and took photographs. Then she put the most precious keepsake in a freezer, the animal's severed, grimacing head. The carcass created a sensation. For the first time, the public could see an apparent real chupacabra for themselves. Reporters from as far away as Japan covered the incredible find. Thousands of fan letters arrived at her door. Canyon became an overnight celebrity. She started giving tours of her property and sold t-shirts that read, 2007, Summer of the Chupacabra. Chupa believers were vindicated, but there were also skeptics. Although Canyon seemed certain she'd found the real monster, they wanted her to prove her catch wasn't just an unusual wild dog. So later that year, a San Antonio television studio offered to pay for a DNA test. They'd air the results on Halloween, and finally, the world would know for sure. Specialists took samples from the monster's skin and muscle tissue. They sent them to the Texas State University lab for a test. On Halloween 2007, Canyon stood on stage at the television studio. She'd hear the results with the rest of the world on live TV. Finally, everyone would know what sort of creature the chupacabra was. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of the Chupacabra. For more information on this case, amongst the many sources we used, we found Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore by Benjamin Radford extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. 
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Ben Caro and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 